Hey, good morning, everyone. My job is to communicate God's word, number one, but then also make it so that you don't feel like you miss Claude too much, you know? <laughs> so I'm going to tell some stories about his childhood, uh, probably about his sisters, because that's come up a lot lately, you know, and uh, just make you feel like he is here in spirit. But I am actually really glad to be with you. Uh, you've come to a really, really important um, Sunday in the life of Centerway, whether you know it or not, because we're going to discover how to fix all of your family problems, all of your friends that don't agree with you. We're going to fix them today. I know it's been taking decades maybe even for some of you, but today's the day, so you're welcome. Glad, glad you're here today uh, once and for all. Take care of those people that don't think and act like you do, because 1 Corinthians chapter 9 talks about priorities and trying to keep our priorities straight, priorities in line. Um, actually, it is really easy today to approach the text, a, a text like 1 Corinthians 9, that speaks to priorities and kind of point the finger at other people, isn't it? Say, ah, oh, they need to hear this sermon. Or, man, I wish that that person was here. Or, I can't wait to forward uh, the message to so-and-so. Uh, but I want to issue a challenge today, if I can. And I would challenge myself, and I would challenge you uh, to uh, ask where this passage is speaking to your life specifically. Now, forget about that crazy uncle you have, you know, or that friend that you're like, oh, man, I've been talking about this for a long time. Uh, let's talk about our own lives for a moment and what the Holy Spirit wants to say to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'll read the text, and then we will unpack it together. It'll also be up on the screen as well. Yeah, the screen, singular. 1 Corinthians 9. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. Verse 11 and 12, and then we'll stop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. We pray together. Heavenly Father, we just heard from your word today, Lord God, and we know full well that your word is alive, it's active, oh God, and so I pray today that your word would uh, go beyond my words today, Lord, that despite my uh, flaws and, and frail humanity, that your word would, would pour deep into hearts, lives, and minds today. I ask that this, that this word would come alive in us, not just so that we retain information, Lord God, but that we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind through your word. I pray that uh, every single aspect of what this word is trying to tell us today would be uh, felt and it would be taken from this place to transform your world and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Alrighty. So, I 
said that I would uh, share a little story of Claude's childhood, and I'll just do that really quick, just because it feels like I should. Um, we're talking about rights today, and uh, Claude and I have been friends for a long time, and that means that I've been friends with his sisters for a long time. And uh, if you know that family, you know that when you walk into that home, you give up a lot of your rights, you know. Uh, usually, you would think that you have rights to you know, not be harassed for things in your world, you know, or uh, not to be made fun of for accidents that happen, you know, but you forfeit that right when you uh, meet the Valdez family. <laughs> uh, and so one day, uh, we were teenagers, and it was um, summertime. I was waiting for Claude to get home, um, and his family was inside, but for whatever reason, my friend Mark and I thought we would just wait for Claude out, outside. Uh, and there was a light, you know, um, but it was completely dark. And... Um, as we were waiting for him, we were just kind of talking. We noticed that there was a lot of, uh, you know, bugs and things flying around this light. And they were really annoying, you know, but, you know, when you're 17, you're cool. You can't do a lot of this, you know, or run away. Uh, so I'm trying to be cool in front of my friend Mark. And as I'm waiting for Claude, all of a sudden, one of these big bugs just smacks me in the side of the head. And I was like, oh, man, that's kind of crazy, you know. And then all of a sudden, I heard that bug inside of my brain. <laughs> I was like, what is going on, you know? Turns out a moth had flown right into my ear. And uh, yeah, this is, this is going to be frightening for you. So, and explained a lot of the reason why I am the way I am today, just to let you know. Uh, so I played it off, you know, like, oh, man, you know, it, it feels like it's in my ear. But, I, you know, I'm trying to, like, dig around, and I, I can't feel it. But I can hear it. It's fluttering. It's trying to get away. You know, it's making these noises like I can't even describe because they were death noises, you know. And so I knew that if I were to walk in that house and say, there's a moth in my ear, that I would forfeit all my rights to a normal human life for the rest of my days, you know. And so uh, I was like, I'm going to play this off. I'm going to do whatever it takes to not let uh, Claude's two sisters know that I have a moth stuck in my ear. So I found the hose in the dark. I was spraying with the hose, you know, just made the moth mad, you know. Or, or die slower or something. I don't know, like, you know, water it or something. And so it was just more agitated, and uh, Claude was not coming home. It was getting me really mad. Finally, he did come home, and I'm, like, shaking. It's not, it's not good, you know? And uh, I, I just have to go to the bathroom. So I run in, go to the bathroom. I'm trying to, like, see it. I obviously can't see it. I'm trying to pull it out, nothing doing. Long story short, your ear canal's longer than you think, you know? It, go, it actually goes deeper into your brain <laughs> than you would imagine. So this thing is, like, in the center of my head, and I'm like, I know that I'm going to have to let these people know. Uh, so long story short, uh, came out and said, listen, I've got a moth in my ear, to which <laughs> Jenny Valdez points, ha ha, and laughs and, uh, you know, ridicules me endlessly. But the good news is that I'm glad I told her that I forfeited my right to be silent. Every time I hear you have the right to remain silent, I think of that instance because I was like, I have the right to remain silent. I will not let them, you know, have something over my head. Uh, and so Turned out I had to go to the hospital. I couldn't get it out of the ear. I had to go to the hospital. They had a needle this long, and they pulled out. The moth was that big, and then it spread its wings, and it was that big. You know, it was, it was ginormous, and I have it in a bag. I had it in a bag for a long, long time, and you're dry heaving. I'm sorry about that. This is a Sunday morning, but uh, I, I apologize. Uh, but listen, there are moments where you have to give up your rights in order for something to happen. I had to give up my rights to make sure that a moth wasn't dead in my ear, decaying for months to come. Okay? Uh, another story, uh, this is far less graphic, <laughs> but has to do with my ear, uh, is that my sister, some of you may know my sister, she's a year and a half younger than me, very sweet, very nice, uh, but you know how younger sisters are, 
when she wanted her way, she got her way. And so she was, it started, I think, when she was around four years old, uh, that when she got tired, she would sit on the couch next to me and just kind of hold her ear, take off her socks, and put her foot on my ear. And the first time she did it, I was five or whatever. I was like, wait, what are, you, what are you doing, you know? She's like, just let me do this. And I was like, what are you, crazy? And she acted like she had a right to take off her socks and put her foot right on my ear and, like, use her toes to play in my ear. It's really kind of weird. Maybe this is more graphic than, uh, than the moth. I, I apologize. <laughs> but uh, she thought it was her right as a four-year-old for, for, to do that, you know? And now me, I'm just the loving brother, and I'm just like, whatever, as long as you're not yelling or whatever, like, I'm okay with you. So my mom, had, she's not here today, but she has very distinct memories of me sitting on the couch just really mad, but my sister very quiet, you know, with her foot off and her sock off with her foot on the side of my ear. I, I got problems. I apologize about that. Uh, but I remember thinking, like, listen, if this makes her quiet, I'm going to give up my right to not have a foot on the side of my head, you know, so that she can remain quiet here. Uh, and <clears throat> that's an illustration to, to let you know that it, sometimes it's funny and maybe even a little cute to have a four-year-old um, kind of exercise her rights and say, I don't care what anyone else says, I'm going to live without considering my decisions uh, for, on the people around me, you know? Cute, maybe weird, you know, but, uh, but at least you're four years old. It's quite another thing entirely when grown men and women feel like they're the center of their world and they center their lives around their right to live however they please. And so this is not a controversial subject today. It's going to sound like it at first, so bear with me. Please don't turn to me out until the very end when you can yell heresy if you want to. Uh, but I have a question to ask today. I, I, I feel like I see something in our world, and maybe you see it too, you know, that people just feel like human, basic human rights, which are, are noble and true and very good, uh, are being usurped for the right to live however I want, regardless of the consequences to the people around me. And so the question that I have this morning is, why do I think I have a right to things? Why do I think I have a right to things? I'll say it this way. Why is it so easy for us to use our rights to prioritize the wrong things? Why is it so easy for us to say, my rights mean that I can do what I want regardless of what happens to you or to the people around me? Misaligned priorities happen so fast, don't they? Uh, why do I think that I have a right to anything and anything regardless of who it impacts? You know, we've said it before, but Paul here in 1 Corinthians is writing this epistle as a response to another letter that this church has wrote to him earlier, and that letter has actually been lost to history, but we know a bunch of the contents of that letter because Paul is using 1 Corinthians to respond to that letter. And so here in our passage today, Paul is continuing a discussion that he began in chapter 8 about freedom and rights found in Jesus. And it's kind of a weird complaint that he's addressing, isn't it? Uh, it's the idea here that the people in Corinth seem to think that Paul is not putting on airs like he should. Uh, people in Corinth seem to think that this, this person, Paul, who planted the church with a team of people, are just, he's just not fitting the mold of other spiritual leaders, other itinerant preachers, teachers, and apostles. And of course, being a part of a class society like the Corinthians were, they expected those in authority to kind of look a certain part 
to act a certain way and to kind of have the accoutrements of a certain kind of societal stratus, if I can say it that way. And so uh, they seem to have assumed that spiritual authority spilled over into an authority uh, in many other areas of life. And so I kind of think of a stereotypical TV evangelist, um, you know, the person that you think of probably like way too white teeth, you know, very wealthy, surrounded by big congregations, you know, really bigger egos and everything. Uh, And um, they like to talk about how God gives you the right to lots of stuff. If you're connected to God, he gives you the right to lots of earthly benefits. Now, I'm, I'm not here to detract from your favorite TV preacher, if you have one, uh, but the wealthy and young congregation in Corinth at the time was prioritizing the way that Paul and his team appeared socially rather than assessing what God was doing through them spiritually. I'll say it again. They were prioritizing the way that Paul and his team appeared socially rather than assessing what God was doing through them spiritually. And it's very easy to see how this would misalign their priorities. And this misalignment of priorities, it, just, it wasn't unique to Corinth. This was spread throughout the course, not just of that society, uh, but it, we can also see how throughout the history of the church, there have been instances where the church has had misaligned priorities Priorities that just were not Christ priorities and the terrible, terrible consequences that come along with that kind of misalignment. So we're not pointing the finger at the Corinthian church and saying, ha ha, they did it bad, look at us, we do it better. What we're saying is, wow, that's an area where the Corinthians had misaligned priorities. What about us? What does the Holy Spirit want to reveal to us in the 21st century? Now the thing I love about this passage and about the Bible in general is that the Bible never shies away from this incredibly kind of progressive idea uh, that people have rights, that all people have rights, that all people are created in God's image. And even though in the 21st century West, that shouldn't be this kind of outrageous idea, throughout history it was. And even maybe even in some places in our world today, it is. And Paul shows us here in this passage that the problem comes not when we think that all people have rights, uh, but the problem comes when our rights take priority over everything else. So here's what I'm not advocating for today, that some people have have rights and some people don't, or don't really think very much or very highly of your own rights. It's not that big a deal. Human rights, yeah, that's, that's not that big a deal. That's not what I'm saying by any means. But what I am saying is the Corinthian church reminds us of what happens when we take a good thing like basic human rights and we elevate it to the most important thing above what God wants for you and for I. A good thing in the wrong place becomes a bad thing very quickly. I'll say it like this, getting along with your sister is great when it means a foot to the side of your ear, you know, something went wrong in that situation. And wanting to provide for your family is great, but when it means working so much that you never see your family, something went wrong. This is what I mean. Exercising your right to freedom is great and it's even noble, but when it means hurting the people who love you the most in search for that freedom, then you know something went wrong. And here's what Paul is addressing in chapter 8, which we talked about last week, and in chapter 9, and he's also going to address it next week as well. Paul gives us an example of what this looks like, of what 
uh, misaligned priorities look like, and then also what it looks like to lay down your rights, to surrender your rights in order to prioritize what matters most. <clears throat> so if you look at with me in verses 3 through 6 again, he says, This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry about that. I think what Paul is saying here is that because he was so concerned with not wanting to appear like he was using the Corinthians for his own personal gain, Paul refused his basic rights to take money for his own needs from the church that he planted. He's saying that we have the right, if we've sowed spirit, uh, physically into this church, we have the right to receive physically from this church. Paul would refuse to take money. Instead, he chose to work as a tent maker or a leather worker uh, while he invested in them. His logic was that the gospel of Jesus uh, might be impeded if this were the case. We'll get into that in a second. I want to get back to verse 6 of Corinthians 9, if we could. I love that uh, Paul mentions Barnabas in this verse. Uh, Barnabas is one of my favorite uh, characters in the New Testament for several reasons. Uh, but for our time today, uh, you, sh you just need to know one detail about Barnabas. Uh, Acts chapter 4 kind of alludes to the idea that Barnabas was wealthy. He was a wealthy landowner. So the Corinthians were probably arguing that if Paul and Barnabas wanted to minister in Corinth, that they should just kind of rely on Barnabas, kind of selling some of his land holdings so that they don't have to bother the Corinthians uh, with some financial uh, benefit. But what Paul is saying here is that that's not what this is about. This is a spiritual principle that goes way beyond whether we have or we have not. And Paul is saying, even though that's a right that we have, I'm refusing to use that right so that I can lay it down. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, verses 7 through 10 uh, they make, uh, they go beyond the social case for uh, the rights that Paul would have. They go to the natural and the spiritual argument that your rights include the truth that when you work, you get to enjoy the benefits of that work. He says, this is just a basic human right. And one of those arguments that, um, that people have used throughout history to denounce slavery. So in the 17th century, people as politically and religiously varied as William Wilberforce and Alexander Hamilton used the exact same passage of scripture to denounce slavery and to use it as a cause uh, in their time. And so this is a, this is a great uh, passage. If you follow along with me, verses 7 through 10. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, this is Deuteronomy he's quoting now, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. Makes sense, doesn't it? That if you're working, that you should receive uh, a, a reward for that. You should receive a payment for that work. He says we can take a lesson from our physical world. Soldiers do this. Farmers do this. We can take it from the law, the, the Old Testament, that uh, God is saying uh, oxen can't be muzzled as they, as they work. And so... Uh, Paul is saying, it's not just about oxen. This is a bigger principle at work here. And here's where we begin to see what Paul prioritized. 
So by not exercising his rights to financial benefit, he removes what could have been a barrier to them hearing the gospel. He's essentially saying that rights are important, but man, I surrender my rights for something that matters more than my rights. If surrendering my rights means that you get exposed to the gospel, then I will do it every single time, Paul says. That's pretty interesting. And this is where you might be sitting here and saying, wow, that's great, Eric. You know, that's some good content maybe, or thank you for unpacking some of that stuff. But does that have anything to do with my life? Like, I have a job, so I get paid for what I do. Um, You know, I feel like I'm living a good life. But what does exercising my rights or withholding that exercise of my rights have to do with my anger issues? Or feeling like my relationships are spiraling out of control. Does 1 Corinthians 9 have something to say about that? What if I can't make ends meet? What is the Bible saying to me? Or I feel like uh, people don't love me. I have to earn people's love. What now? What's Paul saying to me in those moments? See, the problem with rights is that the concept itself is designed to be a tool to achieve something bigger than yourself. So rights are critical, they're important, and we would never argue against them for sure. But if rights become the main thing, the ultimate thing that my life is about, then I'm missing the fact that my rights are a tool to something greater and to something bigger. Since the introduction of the concept of personal rights up until this moment here in history, people have been trying to ensure that their rights are the highest priority imaginable. So you'd hear something like this, maybe not articulated, but uh, people's actions display this. So there's no wondering what bigger priority my rights are to be used for. They're to be used for me, right? I'm the highest priority that life has to offer. It's me, it's my life, and it's, it's my rights. It doesn't take much to see that this kind of thinking can be very destructive, When we take a good and important and a healthy thing like our own rights and we make them the most important thing above anything else in the universe, they become very bad things super quickly. And we're not just talking about rights here. We're talking about anything that's good, any gift that God would give. uh, if If that becomes the ultimate thing in our life, they become warped by the weight of it all. And it can lead to very bad results. The good gifts that God has given, my spouse, my kids, my job, if that becomes the most important thing, then it gets crushed under the weight of what should be the ultimate thing. Life will just crush you, won't it? And so you see people with successful careers and from the outside, wonderful family, 2.3 kids and a dog, as they say, uh, that are just unhappy and uh, struggling with the weight of life. And it's because all of those things were not meant to hold the weight of the world. There's something ultimate here that our lives are pointing to, that our rights should be working toward, and that the surrender of our rights frees us up to experience. So if I believe that my rights are the most important force in the universe, what happens then is when I perceive somebody like Noah, let's say, infringing on my rights, then my emotions are all over the place. Because I say, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Noah didn't treat me right. My rights are so important that when I think that somebody is messing with them, I'm going everywhere. The people in my life suffer because I'm just an emotional roller coaster, right? All because Noah looked at me funny. I got you, bud. (laughs) In fact, when my rights are the highest priority, we call it something, we call it something, it's, it's entitlement, right? 
and I'm not talking about political stuff. I'm not talking about, you know, how you raise your kids or anything like that. Uh, when our rights are the highest priority in my life, then I feel a sense of entitlement. So I say it this way. So I don't just have a right to be free. I have a right to feel free, right? There's a difference. So your right is you have the right to be free, but entitlement says when it's the highest priority of my life that I have a right to feel free in every moment of my life. And so if a job keeps me from feeling free, if like I'm not doing what I need to be doing, I'm, I'm kind of being trapped, then I'll just quit because feeling free is my right and it's the most important thing in the world. To which I say, no, you entitled little brat. That's not what it's all about at all. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to digress. Freedom doesn't mean that you're entitled to feel a certain way every second of your life, but that's a different message for a different day. I'm sorry. I probably get so worked up because I see it so often in my own life, and I'm like, dang, I'm just as big an idiot as, <laughs> as everybody else I'm pointing the finger at, you know? Anyway, let's continue our conversation <laughs> as to why this text matters to your life this morning. I want to ask a question. I don't want you to raise your hand or anything like that. I, I just want to know, have you ever felt yourself kind of afraid of the future or asking a lot of what-if questions and fear? you ever overcome with emotions like anger and frustration or even helplessness that you just can't pinpoint the reason why you feel that way? Have you ever found yourself experiencing just really profound sadness and asking why life has turned out the way that it has? And I suspect that if you have, if one or more of those things resonates with your life this morning, that your priorities are misaligned. That something that was supposed to be a good thing in your life has become the ultimate thing and has taken top priority in your life. Even if you can say that things are perfect in your world and yet you just can't relate to the struggle that life would have to offer, I want to let you know that our natural tendency over the course of time is to build our life on things that can't possibly stand the test of time. So your job, uh, you'll eventually retire, right? Your kids will eventually grow up. Your relationships inevitably change. And so whatever it is that you're building your life on currently, if it's not eternal, those things cannot stand the test of time. And that brings us to Paul's key point in the passage this morning. Let's look at verses 11 and 12 together again, if we could. He says this, If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? And then the crux of what I want to say today. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. We endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Well, Paul was a great example of this for sure. If you know the life of Paul, uh, he endured much uh, for the sake of the gospel. Uh, we can go through the list, you know, uh, stonings and lashings and shipwrecks and imprisonment. Um, you know, the list goes on and on and on for sure. Uh, at all of those things, he would say, listen, if people get a, a front row seat to the gospel of Jesus, all of that is worth it. Now, that's a very extreme example. But Paul is so concerned with keeping his priorities in line with the gospel that he surrenders his rights to comfort, to even peace in some cir circumstances, so that they won't be an obstacle to what matters most to the people in his world. 
He's saying that he would rather surrender what is rightfully his in order that the gospel would have a clear path to those that he loves because his priority was eternal. His priority was the gospel. And if anything else took the place of that priority, all of those things that he suffered and endured, he would have the right to complain about. He would probably say, I can't handle this. I'm out. We look at Paul and we say, he was a superhuman. I can't believe that uh, God allowed him to experience all those things. But he wasn't. He was like you and he was like me. He was sinful, flawed, for sure. But he had his priorities aligned in the appropriate way. The gospel of Jesus took front and center in his life. And he said, if I have to endure whatever I have to endure, it will be worth it for those that I love to, to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what would happen if you moved your rights down the priority list in order to impact someone. I'm not saying give up your rights so that other people could walk all over you. Not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you could give up what's rightfully yours so that people can see what a doormat you are uh, and then maybe somehow they'll come to know Jesus, right? Those are incongruent thoughts. What I am saying is, are you willing to lay down, to surrender whatever it would be that you have a right to so that someone in your world could have a front row seat to something eternal, something that would matter most in their life. Here at Centerway, we firmly believe that the text requires something of us. No matter if we're a skeptic in the room, we, we don't believe that there's a God out there. Uh, we're on the fence. We've come from a church background, but we've kind of fallen away or, or we're a committed Christ follower here. All of us uh, have a next step, an application that this text would require of us. So generally speaking, I'm going to pose a question and then ask God to speak to your heart about it. And the question is this, what do I need to voluntarily surrender this week? What do I need to voluntarily surrender this week? As Paul says that I will lay down my right to payment or my right to uh, basic human decency so that the gospel can go out, what do you need to voluntarily surrender this week? Jesus asked those who would follow him to deny themselves, to take up their cross and to come follow him. So I'm not asking you something that Jesus hasn't already asked of those that would surrender to him and say yes. In other words, to surrender their rights to be available for the sake of the gospel. But here's the beauty of Jesus and one of the many reasons why I love him so much. He didn't just require this of his followers. He became the ultimate example of what it means to surrender your rights for what matters most. As he was in the glory of heaven, just enjoying the royalty and the splendor of his, the royal position that he had, he decided to say yes to the will of his father and was born in a cave and placed in a food trough, surrendering his rights. He became a respected rabbi, but he never had a home. He had no place to lay his head. He would often sleep uh, in the wilderness and he would retreat to lonely places, gave up his rights. The night before he was betrayed, he was in a garden called Gethsemane. And he asked God if there was any way that he could exercise his right as the son of God to achieve his father's purposes any other way but to die. But then he said, not my will. Your will be done. I surrender my will so that my father's will would be done. And then finally on the cross, he could have called for an army of angels uh, to destroy his enemies and take him down off of that cross. But he chose death 
on your behalf so that your right to eternal life would not hinge on your efforts, but his obedience. I'll say it again. Your right to eternal life no longer hinges on your efforts, but his obedience. And as he laid down his rights, we can pick up ours. And we can say, because of Jesus, because of Jesus, I have hope today. That's the gospel. That's the gospel that Paul uh, was giving up his rights to ensure would be seen in his life. That was priority number one for Paul. So what do you need to voluntarily surrender this week? What is it that keeps you from prioritizing the things that matter most to you? Whatever it is, and I can't answer that. That's between you and God. But whatever it is, Jesus surrendered his life so that you would have the strength to surrender that thing. So maybe you are a skeptic in this room. You've never crossed that line of faith. My question is, what are you building your life on? Who is the king of your heart today? I would encourage you, do not let misaligned priorities keep you from the most important decision that you could ever make. Maybe you're a Christ follower here. You're a Christian today. And you want to follow Jesus with everything you've got. But you know that something has taken top priority in your life. What is it? Maybe you can't even pinpoint it. Maybe you can't even pinpoint it, why the emotions in your world right now. Uh, to find out what that thing is, I'd love for you to just silently fill in the blank this, this question here. I would walk away from my faith if blank. What is that blank for you? Not married in 10 years, I'm walking away. If I lose that money that I've invested, I'm walking away. If that person I love so dearly is taken from me, that's it, God walking away. However you would fill in that blank, you've just discovered your top priority. The Bible calls that an idol. And I don't say that flippantly by any means because there are moments in my life where I have that blank that I'm filling into. What I would love for us to do is respond to God's word today uh, as we sing and surrender whatever that thing is to him this morning.